So as you guys look back through like your personal family history, you think of all your family events, family gatherings. Are there any of those that maybe you wouldn't want to talk about? Maybe a few you'd be ashamed of. Like great Thanksgiving fight of 91, you know. Cousin Liz's wedding when half the family drank a little too much and then the karaoke machine got broke out, right? We all have them, don't we? The Bible has them too. The Bible is really honest about the flaws and faults of its main characters. And I think it does that for two reasons. It does it, first of all, to encourage us. If we read this story tonight, I bet you most of the things in your family that you're embarrassed about will pale in comparison to this story. And it's supposed to be encouraging to be like, wow, if those people are part of God's plan, if those are people who made it into the hall of faith, maybe I can too. And then the other thing is just to stand back and be a mirror and be like, hey, there's some warnings here. There's some things to pay attention to. Don't do this. As you read through Genesis, you could take one phrase from it. You could say, don't parent like Genesis. It's not good. Tonight's story has no heroes. Everyone comes out looking like a villain. They all make huge mistakes. And as I stood back and I was preparing for this and I was kind of looking over this, I was trying to think like, what is the one common thing that ties these four main characters together in this story? What is the one thing that ties all their mistakes together? And to me, it's this. They did not trust God. And so they did not obey God. You could say it in the reverse. They did not obey God because they did not trust God. They needed to spend a little bit more time in Sunday school learning their Sunday school songs. Trust and obey because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. It is a very simple Sunday school song and it is an unbelievably deep truth. And it's straight out of the Bible. Do you know that? Trust and obey to be happy in Jesus. It's Psalm 33, 18 through 21. It says this, the Lord watches over those who obey him, those who trust in his constant love. He saves them from death. He keeps them alive in times of famine. We put our hope in the Lord. He is our protector and our help. We are glad, happy because of him. We trust in his holy name. Trust and obey because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. No one in this story trusted God. And so they didn't obey. And at the end of the story, no one's happy. You guys ready? All right, let's do it. Genesis chapter 27, Isaac blesses Jacob. Said when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, and he answered, here I am. And he said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. Isaac's feeling old. Doesn't know when he's gonna die. 
And so he calls in his son, his oldest son, Esau, says, Esau, go out to the field, kill something for me, cook it, bring it in so that I may bless you. Now, before we go any further, we have to understand what this blessing is. It was an extremely important cultural thing, and it's also extremely important in the Bible. This blessing is a prophetic word that was spoken over the child, telling them who they were in the eyes of God and where they would be positionally in the family hierarchy. That sounds like a really good thing for a father to call in his son, say, this is who I think you are in God, and this is how I see your role in the family. Great thing. So what's the problem? The problem is that there was a prophecy. There was a prophecy two chapters earlier. See, Esau is the oldest son, but he has a twin son, Jacob. You guys remember the story. And when Jacob's, when I'm gonna mix up the names, I don't know why. I always mix up the patriarch's names and their wife, especially Rachel and Rebecca. So just, if I say Rachel and I meant Rebecca, then just roll with it, okay? It's gonna happen, right? So, so Isaac is praying for his wife, Rebecca, that they would get pregnant. It took him a long time. It was difficult. And finally, Rebecca's pregnant. She's having this very difficult pregnancy and it's, this, it's turmoil within her. And so she goes and she prays in her desperation and God gives her a prophecy. He says, there are two nations within your womb and the older shall serve the younger. God had ordained the position of these two boys that they were to take in the family. And now Isaac is calling in Esau and is going to try to put him in a position above Jacob, as we will see. Isaac is actively trying to thwart God's will for his kids' lives. Think about that for a minute. Thwart, um, mess with it. Yeah, he is actively trying to be like, God, I know that's your will for my kid's life. We're going the other direction. That is not what we are going to do. Why? Why does Isaac, who has a great history up till now, in the previous chapter, he's a brilliant peacemaker. Why does he do this? Well, I can't speak directly for Isaac, but I have a few ideas because I try to put myself in this position. I think the first is this. He doesn't trust God's plan. He looks at his two sons. It says that Esau was a mighty hunter and that Jacob was a man of the tents. He liked to cook, he liked to hang out, he liked to crochet. <laughs> I crochet, all right, I make you a knit hat, it's cold outside, you'll be happy. And so Jacob is looking at this and he's realizing, I need to take one of these two sons and they need to be the leader of this family this clan. And you have to realize at this point, this is hundreds of people. He has servants and men servants. There's, there's cows and sheep and donkeys. There's other people he's responsible for. And he's looking at his two sons and he's like, God, I don't, I don't think Jacob's up to the task, man. I don't think this is a Jacob task because sometimes this task requires some difficult things. Isaac remembers that his father, Abraham, had to go and battle seven kings to bring back his cousin Lot with his men. So I think, first of all, Isaac looks at his sons and he's like, God, I don't, I don't think this is a great plan. This is not a good plan. This, this is not going to work. And so he doesn't obey. 
How many of us have, have found ourselves there in our lives, right? You're at work, you feel like God's asking you to step up, take a stand for truth, and you're like, that is not a good plan. I'm gonna lose my job, I'm gonna lose my health insurance, I'm gonna lose my 401k. God, that's not a, come up with another plan. That's not a good one. He doesn't trust God, and so he doesn't obey him. Second possible reason, he doesn't like the plan. It says that Esau is Isaac's favorite and that Jacob is the mom's favorite, Rachel. Esau's his favorite. He's his buddy. They hunt together. They hang out together. He doesn't want to give all this stuff to Jacob. He's not really fond of Jacob, which is a huge problem in Isaac's life because he doesn't recognize the value of the difference in his sons, but mainly he just doesn't like the plan. And so he doesn't obey. How many of us have been there? Lord, you want me to end that relationship? I don't like that plan. I don't like that plan. You want me to give up that? I don't like that plan. You need to come up with another plan. I think he doesn't like the plan. Another possible reason, and I think this one's interesting to think about. Who received the prophecy? Rebecca. Thank you. I almost said Rachel. <laughs> His wife received the prophecy. And there are so many times in the Bible, and there are so many times in our lives, men, where God will speak a word to our family through our wives to us. And it is up to us to listen to that. And we can say like, well, why didn't God come to Isaac? God made a statement all the way back in Genesis. He said, the two shall become one. I speak to her, I speak to you. It is so important men, that we listen when God speaks a word into our wives' lives for our family. We need to pay attention to that. It's a huge challenge. And finally, he doesn't trust God's timing. He thinks he's going to die. He thinks this is the time. We need to do this right now. How much longer does Isaac live? 43 years. Have you ever felt like, I am so old, I am going to die today? 43 years later, Isaac is still kicking. I mean, you can't blame him. I think he's 140 at this point. So he does feel old, but he doesn't trust God. And so he doesn't obey him. Trust and obey, right? And so let's see what happens. Now, Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game, to bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you will bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son, only obey my voice and go bring them to me. 
So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of her son Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth parts of his neck, and she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. Rachel overhears Isaac's plan. Because I don't know if you've learned this so far in Genesis, tense, not soundproof. I don't know when they're gonna figure this out. A tent is not a good place to tell secrets, okay? So Rebecca hears and she's got a plan. She's like, Jacob, we're gonna steal this thing. Go get me some goats. I'm gonna prepare the food and you're gonna go in and pretend Esau to be Esau. And what does Jacob say? Dude, I, there's a flaw in your plan, mom. I'm super smooth and I'm a smooth criminal. And thank you for the laugh. <laughs> Esau's hairy. What if dad feels me? He's gonna know it's me. And so what does she do? She straps the skins of the goats. How hairy is Esau? <laughs> like I'm Italian, right? So I'm hairy, right? Do you know why Italian men wear gold chains? So we know where to stop shaving, right? Because you have to, you got to draw a line somewhere. That is nothing compared to Esau. Esau's like a goat. If you ever meet a man who's got so much testosterone, he's hairy as a goat, don't mess with him. Just a general rule for life. Jacob says, this is a problem. But Rebecca says, no, listen to me, son. I know what's best. I know what you need to do. This is our plan. Rebecca is a helicopter mom. You know that term? It's the term for a parent who just hovers right on top of their child that just looks down on them and looks and says, every single thing about their child's life, they wanna control, they wanna manipulate. Hey, do this, do that, have you seen this? It's a helicopter parent. Is that the right way to parent? No. There's other parenting styles too. What about the curling parent? I think Matt talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You remember the curling? So curling in the Olympics where they slide that, that stone and the people get out in front of it with the broom? The curling parent is the person who stays right out in front of their kids and just sweeps away all the obstacles. Anything that could possibly be a problem, they get it out of the way. So their kid's life is just smooth sailing. You got the tiger mom? Do you guys remember tiger mom? Do you remember her book? She would talk about making her kids practice piano for four hours a day. There's a story in there where one of her daughters, she had two daughters, her 10-year-old daughter brings her a handwritten birthday card and she throws it back at her and tells her it's too messy to do it again. Yeah. I hope Tiger Mom set money aside for therapy. All the proceeds of that book need to go to therapy. Is that the right way to parent? No. You got the Black Hawk parent. You know what that one is? It's kind of like the helicopter, but they sit a distance away and any obstacles that are come, they just fire missiles at them, right? Your coach didn't make you captain of the team, I'm gonna get them fired. Your teacher gave you a B, I'm going to the school board, right? Blackhawk parent, free range parents, right? You guys know some free range parents? Where's your kid? I don't know. <laughs> They'll come back when they're hungry. Right? 
when we were, this was actually really good for us because right before my wife and I had our first kid, we went to a mission trip to Africa and we were there, we're working, we're working in these slums. And it was, I mean, they were mazes. They were these tiny little mazes with, with sewage running down it and trash. And there were kids everywhere. And I would be in the house for like half an hour and then like a three-year-old would walk in. I'm like, where did they come from? I don't know, they were out doing their thing. And I was like, How, aren't you worried about like people grabbing your kids or messing with your kids and abducting your kids? And she was like, no, no, there's a lot of crime in here, but if anybody messes with a kid, the whole community grabs them, stacks tires around them and sets them on fire. I was like, yes, <laughs> that's the new plan. <laughs> Solves a lot of problems. What is the right parenting style? I don't know. I've been thinking about this a lot. And I think the word that, that I keep coming back to for the correct style of parents we're supposed to be as Christian is intentional. Be an intentional parent. I stole it from a podcast that my wife loves. It's called Intentional Parenting. If you like, you should listen to it. It's, she loves it. It's, the content is fantastic. And they just talk about parenting in very Christian. And their whole thing is this. The goal is to make Jesus-loving, Jesus-serving adults. Not teenagers, not adolescents, not kids who graduate high school. Jesus-serving, Jesus-loving adults. And it takes intentionality. You have to stand back as parents periodically and say, what are we doing? What is the direction of our lives? Where are we focusing our time, energy, and resources? And are they producing Jesus-loving, Jesus-serving adults, right? And it's gonna look different for every kid. Sometimes kids need a helicopter for a little while, right? Because they seem like they're making attempts on their lives every day. <laughs> you ever had a kid going through that phase? You're like, dude, how did you survive today? Like, you need a phase of that, but you gotta stand back and look at your kids individually and pray. It takes so much prayer. Ask me how I'm doing in like 10 years, because I got little kids. And you know what they say, little kids, little problems. But I'm trying to be, my wife and I are trying to be intentional because it's so incredibly important, right? Rebecca. But what's Rebecca's big issue here? She doesn't trust that God is in control. She thinks she heard the prophecy she knows this blessing is supposed to go to her son, Jacob, and she thinks God needs her help. God needs my help to make this happen. She doesn't stand back and pray. She doesn't think through things. She gets involved. You know, the Bible doesn't say that God needs your help. It says he needs your obedience. I think there's two beautiful examples of that. One fail and one succeed, and it's both the nation of Israel. See, the nation of Israel was told to go to the promised land. And the first time they get there, they show up. They send some spies out. You guys know the story. The spies come back. They're like, there's giants in the land. We're never gonna be able to take the promised land. And they say, we can't come up with a plan, so we're not gonna do it. Did God need their help to come up with a plan to take the promised land? No, all he needed them to do was cross the Jordan River. 40 years later, they come back to the Jordan River. And on the far side of the river is this massive, massive city called Jericho with these huge walls. And they go over and they look at it and they're like, we have no idea how we're gonna take Jericho. 
but this time they do it right. But we don't need to know how we're gonna take Jericho. God told us, cross the Jordan River, so that's what we'll do. And when they get to the other side of the Jordan, then God shows them the plan. This is how we're gonna do it. So often I think in my life that I am hesitant to be obedient because I don't understand the whole plan. And God's like, you do not need to know the plan. First of all, if you knew the whole plan, half the time you probably wouldn't obey. Okay, so I'm protecting you from yourself. <laughs> Ever felt like that, <laughs> right? Like if I had known God was gonna do that, I probably wouldn't have taken the first step. But you get to the end and you're so glad you did. God doesn't need Rebecca's help. She just needs her to be obedient. But here's the big question for Rebecca as I look back. Rebecca's husband is going sideways, right? Jacob's not doing what's right. So what is she supposed to do as a spouse? What are you supposed to do as a spouse when your spouse is headed sideways, right? So another mission trip to Africa, um, we were there, I was there with Pastor Matt and a bunch of other pastors and we would do like a teaching. And then afterwards there would be a Q and A, right? So we've all got the mic. We're all trying to answer Q and A's and this lady comes up and in Africa, it's great because they've got their African accents, but they're, the places we travel to are British. So it's like a British accent too, which I can't do either of them, but it's a fantastic accent. So this lady comes up and she says, she says, Pastor Matt, here's my problem. My husband beats me. And I do not like it when he beats me. But in Africa, husbands only beat their wives if they love them. But I read the Bible and I think, I do not think Jesus would beat me. So what do I say to my husband? And I said, Heverly, <laughs> I'll let you take this one. And Matt's answer, I'm like, how are you gonna handle this? And it always stuck with me. And he just said, the only person you can control is you. You're the only person you can control. You do what's right. You pray to God. You seek his wisdom. Rebecca couldn't control Jacob. That's what she's trying to do. She's trying to manipulate her husband to control him. It's not going to work. She needs to ask the Holy Spirit to change her husband. She needs to ask God. She needs to go to God in prayer and then maybe go to her husband and be like, listen, this is the wrong plan, honey. Remember what God said. I love Esau too, but this is his plan. You can only control you, right? So let's see what happens. In she sends Jacob. So he went into his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am, who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless you. Lie number one, lie number two. He's not Esau. He's not the firstborn, right? But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found game so quickly, my son? And he answered, because Yahweh, your God, has granted me success. Lie number three and some blasphemy just for fun, right? And then he answered, then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him. And he said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He's just stroking the goat pelt. Oh, you are Esau. My, you're hairy son. 
And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, are you really my son Esau? And he answered, I am. Lie number five. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and the plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. Remember, he thinks this is Esau. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Jacob's a liar. Lie after lie after lie after lie because that's what lying always does. Lies breed lies. It is so much easier to just tell the truth, right? It's so much easier and every lie gets harder. But what I think is so interesting as I look at this, there's a couple things that are interesting here, but one is this, how many outs does Jacob have? Like I read this story and I'm like, how gracious was God to Jacob through Isaac? Jacob, do you really wanna do this? Are you sure you're, are you sure you're Esau? Are you 100% sure you're Esau? Are you, how many times did Jacob have the opportunity to be honest? God is so gracious, time and time and time again. And what I think is really interesting as I was reading through this, and this, this is not really my personality. Some people I think are more spiritual than I am. And what I mean by that is I, I'm more ethereal, I, I, you're more brain. Some people I think are more in touch with the Holy Spirit. And it's the giftings that we all have that are different. But as I was reading through this, it was really pressed on my heart, literally every single time I read this, that there is at least one person, if not more people in this room tonight that need to hear this. You're walking down a Jacob path right now. And you know it. And God has given you time after time after time to come clean, to confess, to turn, and you haven't. And he's going to give you another one and you need to take it. And I don't know who you are, and I just really felt like that needed to be shared. I don't know what that means, but you need to take it. Don't keep snubbing God's opportunities for repentance. He's so gracious, but eventually we get to the point where we go too far, and it's not that God can't forgive, but the pain is gonna be there for the rest of our lives as he'll see in Jacob's life, right? I think it's really interesting also Isaac. Isaac uses all, tries to use all five of his senses to determine who his son is, doesn't he? He can't see. So the first thing he says is, dude, you do not sound like Esau. Jacob's like, uh, uh, sorry, yes, dad. Don't you like the game that I brought you? I'm so manly and hairy, feel my hands. <laughs> right? You're like, you don't sound like, you don't sound like Esau. So then he touches him and then he tastes the game and he's like, oh, it tastes like what Esau makes. And then finally, what does he do? He smells him. 
You catch that? Come so that I may kiss you. It's a trick so that he can smell him. And what does he say? Ah, you smell like a field that the Lord has blessed. What does that mean? What is a blessed field to a bunch of cattle herders? It's a field full of animals doing what animals do. It's like, my son, you smell like Lower River Road when the brown sprinkler is running. (laughs) It's just so funny to me. Oh, the smell of my son Esau, wet dog. Uh, I don't know. It's... He uses all of his physical senses, but he has no spiritual discernment in this matter. And I think that's interesting because so oftentimes uh, as a role as a pastor or other pastors I talk to here, there will be times where people will come up and they'll ask for prayer. That's just great. You should always come up and ask for prayer. But there'll be times where we have these conversations with people and they're like, oh, I just really need you to bless this relationship that I'm in. There's just this strife. There's this tension in this relationship. I really want things to work out with her. And the more you start asking, the more I start talking and having conversation with this person, I found out like, these people are not married and they're living together. Now, I'm not saying that if you're not married and you're living together, I don't want you in church. I want you in church. I want you here. I want you to learn the pathway that God has for you. But if you want me to pray that God will bless that relationship, it's not gonna happen. God has no interest in helping you get better at sinning. He just doesn't. He's not gonna give Jacob any insight here because Isaac... He's not going to give Isaac any insight here because Isaac is bent on doing the wrong thing. And so often I find in my life, like, Lord, when I want your blessing, when I want your, I need to stand back and be like, I need to make sure that I'm walking in your path. Not that God doesn't want to forgive, not that we shouldn't be our, this is not to shame anyone. It is simply for that idea of like, God wants to bless those who are following in his pathway because that's the pathway to blessing. That's why he laid it out. He didn't lay it out because he was a harsh father who loves rules. He was like, this is how you'll be blessed. This is how life works. Do it this way. Jacob, ultimately, he doesn't trust in God. I think it's so telling what he says to his father. His father says, how did you catch this so soon? He doesn't say Yahweh helped me. He says, Yahweh, your God helped me. Yahweh's not Jacob's God. He doesn't trust him because he doesn't have a relationship with him. Who does Jacob trust? His mom. Whose fault is that? His mom and his dad. Neither of them spent their time pointing their son towards, listen, when you want guidance, when you want to know what to do, when you, do you know how old Jacob and Esau are? Between 40 and 70. These are not teenagers. These parents did not teach their kids that the way to find wisdom is to ask God. They made them reliant upon them. And it's so dangerous. Jacob doesn't trust in God. He has no relationship with him. And so he doesn't trust his plan, right? So let's see what happens. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely, had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. 
And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, O father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he's taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him Lord over you and all his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine, I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father answered and said to him, behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall be your dwelling and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword, you shall live and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. In comes Esau. Dad, I'm here. I killed the game. And Isaac, hearing the voice of his son, knows what happened. Who are you? I'm Esau, your firstborn. Then who was it? And it says, he trembled very violently. It's so interesting. As you follow along the life of Isaac, he's extremely stoic. The first time we really see him, he's traveling up a mountain at 40 years old to be be killed by his dad. He knows what's going on. No emotion. His wife, 40 years he prays. He finally has twins. We don't see any emotion. You see a famine, no emotion. You see they dig a beautiful well in the last chapter. People want to steal it, no emotion. And yet... Here he trembled very violently because I think at this moment, Isaac realizes that he was running smack into God. He was running in the opposite direction and God stood in his path and he ran smack into him. Have you ever had that experience? When you're trying to run away, God, as fast as you can, and he just stands in your path and you get bowled over, painful and important. And he trembles violently because that's the only response we have in those moments. And then for all of Isaac's faults, I will give him this. When he realizes that God's will is going to be done, he doesn't fight it, does he? So what's he say to Esau? I bless your brother, yes, and he shall be blessed. We can run all we want but it's never too late to run smack into God and realize I was going the wrong direction. It's really interesting. Isaac ends up in the hall of faith. And you know what it says about him in the hall of faith? By faith, he blessed his sons, Jacob and Esau. What? This story puts him in the hall of faith? Yeah, because he ran smack into God and he realized, all right, Lord, no matter how hard I tried against you, I will now do it your way because it's never too late to do it God's way. It's never too late. 
to do it God's way, right? And then, um, yeah. So what's Esau's big crime here? Isn't Esau just the victim, right? Isn't Esau just getting worked over? Why do we have any issue with with Esau? He's just the victim here. I don't think so. Because here's the thing. Esau knows the prophecy. He knows the position that God is supposed to put him in. And here's my thing against Esau. I don't think Esau trusted that God had a role for him to play if it wasn't top dog. He doesn't trust the role that God has for him to play in his life, right? Not everyone is head of the family. That doesn't mean not everyone is important in God's plan. I think Esau could have been a huge asset to his brother. Together, they could have built this thing. They could have been amazing together. But Esau is so jealous and so upset that someone got a little bit more blessing than he did that he decides to steal it back. There was this interesting study done years ago. Matt's quoted it several times, but they did a survey on a bunch of people and they said, okay, two different scenarios. One scenario, you make $50,000 a year. All your friends, all your family, all the people in your peer group make $25,000 a year. Scenario number two, you make $125,000 a year, way more. But everybody in your peer group and family makes $250,000 a year. Which would you rather have? Over 70% chose to be $50,000 with everybody else making half of theirs. Because it's in all of us as humans. It's in Esau, but it ought not to be in the church. It's not the way we're supposed to be as Christians. We're supposed to root for each other. We're supposed to love each other. I think the perfect example of this is Jonathan. You remember the story of Jonathan? That's Saul's son. Saul's king. Jonathan's supposed to be king. And God anoints David. And what does Jonathan do? Tries to steal the anointing back? Tries to trick God into thinking he's David? No. He says, all right, I'm not going to fight God's will. I'm gonna come alongside you, David. I'm gonna love you. And Jonathan goes down as this amazing character in the Bible, the great example of a friend, a mighty warrior who has this huge battle against Philistines. He's not petty and angry because someone else received a blessing he thinks he should have had. He's comfortable with the role that God has put him in because God's got a role for all of us. And it's not always the role maybe we chose, but it doesn't mean we don't have a place in the story a perfect, beautiful, wonderful place. That's my issue with Esau. Esau should have come in and be like, dad, I know you love me. I know you want to bless me and trust me, I want it. But we both know that's not right. We both know what God said. Why don't you bring Jacob in here and bless us both? Give him the right and then show me how, give me a blessing to come alongside of him and help him. That Esau could have done that and how beautiful would this story have been, but jealousy and pettiness keeps him away. And what does he say? It's really interesting what he says. He says, is he not rightly named Jacob for he has cheated me these two times. He cheated me out of the birthright and now out of the blessing. Do you remember the story of the birthright? It's just a couple chapters ago. Esau comes in, he's starving. He's like, I'm gonna die. I'm so hungry. He's a drama queen, hairy drama queen. <laughs> Jacob's like, I got some food. I'll sell you the birthright. Jake's, Jacob's being sneaky, okay? Like there's also no great people in this story. But did Jacob steal the birthright? No, Esau sold it. And he looks back and he's like, he stole it from me. No, he didn't. This is so human nature to me. 
We are rarely honest with ourselves about emotionally charged events of our past, are we? All, if it was bad, we always make it out to be better than it was. Like the children of, Egypt, of Israel coming out of Egypt. Oh man, remember Egypt, it was so great. We had all that grain, we had all that. You were slaves. Do you remember when I was with her? It was so great. Dude, she was crazy. Do you remember when I was with him, that relationship was, he made you miserable. He stalked you. Do you not, did you not remember that part? Oh, but, but he loved, no. We are so rarely honest or we just completely demonize. They were evil, they were vile. They Could they have just been mistaken and a, a broken person and that's why you got hurt by them? Could that be the case? It is so important for us to be honest about the hurts of our past because otherwise it is so easy to either idolize or demonize. Oh, it was so great. Oh, they're so terrible. And when we do either of those, we manage to put ourselves on a pedestal, which is exactly what Esau is doing here. I'm awesome. Jacob's the demon. He did all this evil stuff to me. Dude, you sold your birthright for some lentil soup. It's not even that good. I mean, you could have got like a T-bone for, I mean, for a birthright, porterhouse, something, okay? Esau. And here's the thing. When I look at this and I look at this family, it's extremely broken. And when I see a broken family, my first instinct is to blame dad. And I don't think that's wrong. Because look at Isaac here. No one is ever together. There's not a single part in this story where all four of them are in the same room. Why? That culture was not created in this house. Dad didn't bring all of the kids together. Say, hey, let's all get together family meeting. No, I like Esau and your mom likes Jacob and we're just going, no. No, dads. You bring them all together. You're supposed to unite your family. I'm supposed to unite my family. There's zero communication. And finally, look, when I look at Isaac, this is really challenging to me. He's not created a household where he is approachable or correctable, has he? If he was a correctable person, if he was a person who over the last 140 years of his life owned up to the times when he made mistakes, it's like, you know what? You're right, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. I can make a pivot now. I can make a change. I can apologize. If he'd been that type of person, I think at least someone in this story would have been like, hey, time out, dad. Think maybe you're blowing it here. But he's not. Dads, are we approachable? Are we correctable? Are we vulnerable to our family? Hey, son, daughter, I've made a mistake here. I blew it. Thank you for bringing that to my attention or your mom brought that to my attention or God brought that to my attention and I wanna change, I wanna be better, I wanna be different. How does this story change if Isaac had been a dad like that? And because he's not and because everything is broken, because no one trusts God and no one obeys God, we now have the end of the story. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son and said to him, behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise free to Laban, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. 
Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be? So she hears Esau wants to kill you. And so she grabs her son and she sends him away to Laban. And then instead of being honest with Isaac again, what does she say? Oh, I sent him to Laban so he could get a good wife because I don't want him to marry a hit. She's still lying and conniving and trying to manipulate her husband. It's ridiculous. And here's the thing. It's at least 20 years before she will see her son again, if ever. We don't see a reuniting of those two. Her son, whom she loved, who she wanted everything for, who she manipulated, now the family's broken and it's separated because nobody trusted God. And so nobody obeyed God. Two closing thoughts. First is this, these two boys are in their late forties to possibly early seventies. And they still are both craving a blessing from dad. Dads, speak words of blessing over your kids speak life over them. Hey, I see this in you. I see these talents in you. I see how God has built you. I see the plan God has for your life. I don't think you can ever speak enough blessing over your children. If you're a dad, if we're dads who speak blessing, then how much more does our correction hold weight when it comes time for correcting? My dad loves me. He blesses me. He speaks blessing over me. These boys are so craving it because Jacob, at least, probably never got it. Probably never got it. But then finally, it's this, trust and obey, because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And any time in my life when I feel like I'm struggling with obedience, most of the time it's because I'm struggling with trust. And I need to spend some time, we need to spend some time. We're all gonna struggle with obedience from time to time. On this side of heaven, probably all gonna struggle with obedience from time to time. And when we do, when your friends are, when your spouse is, when your kids are, it's time to talk to them about trust. Do you trust God? Do I trust God? Do I believe his promises for me? Do I believe his plan? Do I trust him to lead me in the ways everlasting, even though it looks so hard right now? Because we can trust him. The way we know we can trust him is because he's a God who came down here and died for us. The ultimate ask of being like, you can trust me. You can trust me because I love you so much I would give up everything for you.